I can go and read a hundred case studies that say that they did exactly the same thing. These case studies are kind of missing, like telling the story of like the actual problem you're solving weaved throughout the whole case study. And in each of those different kind of exercises that you do as part of your design process, how did that apply to the problem that you were solving? That's what I want to see more of. Welcome to Design Life, a show about design and side projects for motivated creatives. My name is Charlie. And I'm Femke. Today we're going to talk about case studies. And I brought this up with Charlie a couple of weeks ago in a side conversation, and we thought it would make a really great podcast episode. And I've been doing quite a bit of portfolio reviews recently where I've been having some one-on-one time with people and going through their portfolio and their case studies. And I've been noticing some commonalities as I do these case studies. In particular, some areas that I think are room for improvement is how people share and talk and tell the story of the work that they did in the case study. I feel like a case study is not just about what you did, but how you did it and why you made certain decisions. And I thought this would be an interesting topic to talk about because I've seen it more and more, uh, these case studies where I feel like they're just lacking a little bit of depth and a little bit of storytelling. So I thought it would be a good topic to talk about. uh, And I'm looking forward to hearing what you've observed as well, Charlie, in your time looking at case studies and reviewing portfolios as well. But before we get into it, a quick catch up. How are things going? How are you? Things are going good. Yeah, I have started doing this thing. Forgive me if I've talked about this in an episode already, but um, I work usually until kind of late into the evening. On Mondays especially, I am usually working until at least 8 p.m. because I have meetings that end at 8 p.m. And so I know that that's probably where my day is going to end around like 8, 8.30 once I like wrap things up after getting off that call. And so, you know, I was doing my thing where I sort of shift my day and start a bit later so I don't start work at like 8.30, 9 o'clock. I'm starting more at like 10 o'clock, 10.30. But if I'm working through till 8.30 p.m., that makes for a really long work day, even if I do start at like 10, right? Yeah, I was going to say, like, even starting at 10 still sounds too early. (laughs) That's the thing. But like 10 o'clock was feeling late to me. Like on a normal day, it feels like, okay, I better start work now. This is getting late, right? Like that's how much the nine to five is drilled into me, I guess. But a couple of weeks ago, decided I'm like, right, okay. I am not going to check Slack until noon. I know I'm going to work until at least eight. And so I'm not going to start doing my ConvertKit work stuff until noon. And I spent my Monday morning doing my own things, like wrapping things up that were like leftover to-do list items from the weekend, making sure my side hustles were all in a good place for the start of the week. And I've loved it. It's been like a game changer for me to have that just a couple of hours really of set aside time for myself where I don't feel guilty about not working because I know that I'm still getting in a full eight hour work day. And yeah, I've been making more progress on my own stuff, which has made me feel better. It's not like exactly like I'm getting more relaxing time but yeah it's it's been working out well and it's something that I want to keep doing and staying on top of because it's so easy to work too many hours when you work remote for a company in a different time zone yes I can imagine it sounds like really convenient that this is on a Monday as well in a way where you can like use Monday morning to kind of prepare yourself for the week, catch up on things that you didn't get to in the weekend like you said that sounds like a really nice way to start your week 
funnily enough, I'm trying to do the opposite where I'm trying to start earlier and finish earlier, uh, particularly for the summer because yeah. it's hot and I want to spend as much time outside as possible. And it is really easy because I work a lot with uh, like West Coast US who are like three hours behind. It is pretty common to have like 6 p.m. meetings because it's only 3 p.m. there. And so I'm trying to push a little bit of like, okay, like I'm not taking any meetings after five o'clock. My goal is to try and end around four during the summer, but I'm trying to be flexible with like five as my absolute sort of hard deadline. Uh, So yeah, I don't know. It's like week one of me trying this new schedule, but we'll see how it goes. That would be like, I don't know, I love on Fridays when I can end my day at like five or six o'clock. I'm like, what is this magic? Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's so funny because you saying ending on Friday at five, six o'clock to me sounds so late. (laughs) But to me, it's like several hours earlier than usual. So yeah, that's so funny. Yeah. So interesting. I'm trying like, obviously with trying to end at like four o'clock, I'm trying to start earlier too right like starting my day at like eight yeah uh, which I haven't quite nailed yet to be honest uh so that's still a bit of a work in progress of just trying to get up a little bit earlier and get to my computer a little bit earlier um so yeah a work in progress I mean as you're talking about like how hard it is to start work at eight I was thinking about the fact that I used to wake up at like 5 30 oh my gosh I know to work on side hustles how you did that too right maybe not that early but you did wake up pretty early yeah how did we do that uh we were young I guess yeah I guess (laughs) it had a lot more energy I don't know I find it like I find it especially difficult now to get any side project work done in the mornings before my day job because I have a dog uh, like I, she has to go outside for a walk and that's usually like a good 45 minutes. And so trying to do that and then squeeze in like an hour of side project time is difficult in the morning. So I'm trying to figure out like where I fit side project time in because usually after the workday, I'm pretty tired. So I haven't quite figured out the best time to do that stuff during the weekday. Yeah, luckily my cats do not be need, need to be taken for a walk. I can just throw throw a ball around for them and they'll nice. exercise themselves. Yeah. yeah, how convenient, how convenient. How convenient. Well, shall we get into today's topic of case studies? I would love to hear a little more detail on what you started noticing in these case studies from people. Um, yeah. And yeah, why you felt like this is something that we need to talk about. Yeah. So one thing I've noticed is a lack of a clear problem statement or goal I think we hear common advice that like oh you know you need to have a really strong problem statement like what is the problem that you're trying to solve and caveat I'm giving this feedback in the context of like product design UX UI design case studies which is what I mostly review you know I've heard people say like oh but there there isn't always a problem or sometimes if it's a personal project or something you know there's not really always this clear articulate problem so in that case my advice is well then what was the goal like if you didn't have a problem surely you had a goal in mind so I think either a problem statement or a goal or both if that makes sense is something that I've seen not necessarily lacking but just not clearly articulated So that is something that I have noticed and have been trying to encourage people to get really more clear about, about exactly the problem that you're trying to solve or the goal that you were trying to reach. I find often these early parts, the introduction of the case study can get a little bit muddled and like trying to explain a little bit like the company or or the brand or, you know, whatever it is that you're working on uh, and 
kind of trying to articulate a problem, but not super clearly. Um, and so I think if you can start with that clear problem statement, a few sentences with context about the brand or, or the app or the tool, whatever it is that you're working on to really set that like strong introduction. And that way I know going into the case study, okay, this is the problem tr they're trying to solve. This is the goal that they're trying to measure. And like, this is a bit of context about the, the brand or, or the app that they're working on. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I feel like that is something I've noticed as well, is that sometimes you are like digging into someone's portfolio, right? You open it up, you pick a project and you click on it and then you read the introduction paragraph and then you read it again and you're like, <laughs> wait, I still don't understand it. What are yeah. we doing here? And that's obviously not, not off to a good start. I think maybe people try and over explain. I think it's a hard balance to get right, you know, because you do want to clearly state the problem, but you also... You don't want to explain it in such detail that someone's eyes glaze over, right? Um, you need to say just enough so that the person looking at it understands, right, there was a problem in, in play here. Here's the like layman's terms for what that issue is and, you know, um, go on from there. I think that, yeah, that's that's where I get lost sometimes in especially reviewing product design portfolios. Yeah. Another common approach I've seen for this like introduction to the case study, and I'm curious what you think about this, Charlie, is people starting with a solution. So being like, so-and-so is an app that helps people do this, 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 and blah, 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 uh, where they kind of jump straight to like, this is what I made, or like, this is the final thing. Like, this is what I'm going to talk about. And I don't love this approach because you're jumping immediately to a solution when I don't even understand the context of what it does, why you're even doing this in the first place, why you chose this solution. I do think that there is a time and place to talk about the solution early on in the case study to give the context, but I don't think it should be the very first like opening paragraph. But I'm curious what you think about that. Hmm. That's an interesting one because for me, I always want to see if it's like a, a process case study, right? I always want to see the finished product yeah. near the top yeah, because that's really important from like a visuals and UX perspective. Like that's the thing that you need to judge and see the quality of the, the solution there, especially from a UI perspective, right? And so if you don't, if you make someone dig for that, I think that's kind of a poor experience. Maybe it's just in the framing, you know, in marketing design, for example, when you're selling a product on a marketing website, you want to hit on the problem that this product solves for the audience. So maybe that is where that could come in in an introduction like that. Instead of just saying this app does this, it's like this group of people has this problem. So this app does this to fix it. Yeah, I think the, the the key clear differentiator there is you started with the problem statement and then this is how I solved it. And I think that's the right approach as opposed to starting with the solution and then like backtracking to the, the original problem. Um, but I agree in general that it is nice upfront to see the final solution visually. Uh, so usually in that section where people are kind of introducing the project, talking about the problem statement, uh, it is nice to see that final visual with maybe an image caption or something to just, you know, give some context to what that visual is. Like this is the final screens, like I'm going to dive into it and how we got here. That is nice to have as like an overall top level summary. If I read nothing else about the project, like I've at least seen your final work. Yes. That's really good for skimmability too. Like 
because uh, it's probably a possibility that, that a reviewer of a portfolio isn't going to read every single case study on your site in detail, but they might read the opening paragraph or like opening few sentences and see the visual next to it. Yeah. So that's like a really good way to, yeah, sum up the project, I think. Something that was really interesting to me, Fem, that you said in our introduction to this topic is that you've noticed a lack of storytelling in case studies. Can you tell me more more about what you mean by that? Because that instantly sparks some things for me, but I want to hear from you first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think a common thing I've noticed is case studies talking about what they did. Like, here's what I did. I did some user research interviews. Then I did some affinity mapping. Then I created some user flows. Then I did a site map. Then I did, I'll stop because I'm sure that's getting boring, but you get the gist, sounding right? like every single case study I've ever seen. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. And that's the whole point <laughs> is that like every single case study like is start, starts to feel the same if that's the approach that you take. Um, because like, of course you do user research. That's part of the design process. Of course, you're going to do some user flows. That's what you do as a designer. That's not anything interesting or differentiating to me. What is interesting is the story of why you did that, the decisions you made, the different things you explored, how that, how you applied that to your design process, how did them influence the next step in your design process? Like, tell me the story, not just what you did, because, I, I can go and read a hundred case studies that say that they did exactly the same thing. And so I find often that these case studies are kind of missing, like telling the story of like the actual problem you're solving weaved throughout the whole case study. And in each of those different kind of exercises that you do as part of your design process, how did that apply to the problem that you were solving? That's what I want to see more of. Yes, this hits on one of the main problems that I have when reviewing case studies, especially, like I said, product design ones where it's not my specific area of expertise, but I have been involved in reviewing portfolios to like move on to the next round for product design roles, you know, uh, checking for that quality bar that we want to meet. And I feel like I have always wished like every case study I've, I click on, I'm like willing it to tell me a story. <laughs> like, like, okay, tell me why I care about this. Um, talk to me. Um, don't just t say those same words that I've seen over and over again, like those same headings throughout every every portfolio that I've seen, what you were, you were talking about before, Fem. I feel like the case studies I read, that's what it's telling me, is it's telling me, this is my usual process. And I'm like, okay, cool, same as every other process. Do I keep digging in? My attention's drifting, you know. Um, so I like what you're suggesting there. And another thing I think I could suggest is a way to talk about that flow that you go through but to make it more compelling to someone reviewing and to help make connections is to talk about perhaps frame it as what you got from that stage of the process. Right. Like instead of saying, we did user research to talk to users about this, this and this, lead that section and make that heading be through user research, we discovered that and then like, mm -hmm. you know, put in the interesting thing that you found out that perhaps changed the trajectory of your project or clarified your hypothesis or whatever. Um, could be a more interesting way to frame it. And not only would that show, okay, yeah, they did user research in that step, check that box sort of thing. Cause I don't know, um, maybe you can confirm this film, but I think that that process is kind of important to product design. Like it's kind of expected <laughs> that you go through that, through that stuff. But this also shows me that you are making connections and like thinking about the why behind each one of these steps. Right. That 
completing user research isn't just, oh, I have to do user research because I have to do user research for you. It's I'm doing user research because I know it's going to be valuable and it's going to make my project better at the end of the day. Totally. And I love how you talked about like, okay, here's what I learned from the user research. And then I think the next step from that, which is another thing I often see missing is like, so what? Like, cool. You learned this thing in the research. What did you do with that information? Did that influence any of your design decisions? Did that, did that change the trajectory of the project? Like, can you let that guide me into the next step in your design process later on when you're showing explorations and like, you know, maybe some visual design iterations you're doing. Can you pull back in what you learned from the user research and how that informed some of your decisions at that later stage in the design process? You know, like how can you weave the learnings and the decisions that you're making throughout the case study? If you only talk about like the research in the research section, I'm not learning much about how you're applying that to the rest of your design process. Right. And maybe, maybe this is a good place to call out that a case study is not meant to be, well, in my opinion, is not meant to be like covering absolutely everything to do with the project. I think a case study to go back to what you were saying, Fem, is telling a story of why this project was successful and why you did good work on it. So that doesn't mean you have to include every single thing you learned about your users, you know, like pull out the bits that tell the story. Yes. Because I personally find sometimes case studies can be way too detailed and I can get lost in them. And I'm like, look, I'm not really trying to make this type of like, I don't know, health app myself. <laughs> so I don't really need to know all the ins and outs. Like I'm just looking for insights into who you are as a designer and Right now, what it's telling me is, wow, this is a lot of detail. Are you going to be this verbose when we talk? Um, and are you like going to be respectful of my time in a meeting? Or are you going to tell me all the information that perhaps I don't need to know? That's extreme. That's not actually what I think. But, you know, <laughs> I hope that gives you a suggestion of why I think case studies can get too detailed. Yeah, no, I'm really glad that you brought this up because I find often when I provide the advice that I've been giving so far in this episode to the designer... I noticed that they get a bit worried about like, oh, then my case study is going to be really long and like it's going to be really detailed if I have to like, you know, tell that entire story. And I love what you said, Charlie, because I totally agree with you is that you don't have to tell every single decision or every single like, you know, tiny thing that you did in a project. In fact, I often find the case studies that do focus on one or two particular interesting parts of a project a lot stronger because they go more in depth they go deeper rather than wide so maybe you choose a particular like feature of a of a bigger project right like a particular user story that was really challenging really tricky maybe the team had different ideas about how to solve for it and you kind of use that as like a catalyst to, to walk through your design process or I don't know maybe there was a turning point in the project where you learned something and you had to pivot. Uh, talk about that, you know, in a, in a little bit more detail. Um, I don't think you need to show every single user flow for an entire product or an entire app, but maybe you just pick like three key core user stories and like go into those in detail and talk about the different explorations you did for those, how you refined them, how you got feedback, how you did user testing on those like only three core flows rather than trying to do that for every part of a product. Um, would be my recommendation. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's, it makes me think about how um, 
the way that we're approaching this Coffee with Charlie series that I'm doing with Figma, which if you haven't seen it, it's on the Figma YouTube channel and I'm interviewing designers who work on design systems at various so companies. So cool. And like design systems in general like have a very similar pattern to them right like there's probably a team within the company who works on the design system and they talk to other designers and they make components and everyone has to agree on updates you know like there's there's a lot of common threads throughout talking about design systems but what we try and do for each episode is pull out okay why should people care about this story in particular what is interesting about it or what do we think is the most valuable thing people could learn from listening to this episode. So for example, there's one that we did uh, with Condé Nast about a design system for a multi-brand company. So we focused on showing like the ways that they can theme their components to apply Mm, different brands mm -hmm, to them. mm -hmm. There's much more to do with their design system, of course, but that was the core interesting part that was unique and special to their system. So we focused the episode on that. I think people could take the same approach to case studies where they think about them as stories they're telling to probably other designers, right? Who is going to be looking at your case studies if you're going to be applying for jobs places. Um, Tell that story and tell that designer why this project was interesting or valuable or how it demonstrates a particular skill that you have, like what stands out about it. If you take that approach, I think that perhaps paring it down and um, yeah, going deep rather than wide, like you said, fam, might be easier. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think going deep is more effective and shows a little bit more who you are as a designer and the kind of decisions that you make and how you make those decisions. Um, I'm curious, Charlie, when it comes to kind of the end of a case study, like a summary, uh, what are some things that you've seen people do either really well to end a case study or maybe not so well areas for improvement yeah i think that sometimes i feel like case studies are so detailed in the like research and user flow phases and then it sort of just ends and it's sort of like and here's the finished product yeah (laughs) and i'm like uh wait 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 a second i have questions like okay do i just trust that this product is the answer to those problems you were you were saying. I really like when people call out details from the finished product. Like they show the finished thing, but they also might highlight a few pieces of it right. and call back to the research or the user flow, you know, a problem that was identified earlier on just to close that loop on on how it was connected. And in some cases it is obvious, right? Where the research ends up in the design. Like you can look at it and you see, oh, that makes sense. I know they did that because of that research. But as much as possible in portfolios, you don't want the reviewer to have to make those leaps themselves, like spell it out, make sure that there is nothing that could stop them missing the fact that you did a good job because you applied this research to the finished product. Yeah, I think at the very least, answer your problem statement from the beginning, right? And show like, here's how we're addressing this problem, or here's the final solution that we felt most confidently best solved this problem. Um, So I totally agree, making sure that you're kind of linking it back. I feel like often, like you mentioned, case studies will kind of end there of like, here's the final thing. And what I'd like to see more of is the impact after that. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that you might not have that for every project, right? Maybe it's a school project or a personal project, uh, and that might truly be the end and, and that's fine. Uh, but if this is a real world project or a, a, something you did for a client or at a past company, 
you know, the design process doesn't end once you have created the final design. There is more that comes after that. Uh, and so I, I want to hear more about, okay, well, first of all, how did you hand this off to engineers? Like, how did you work together on making sure like the final product was, you know, up to spec? In my experience, sometimes there's things that designs miss during the initial design phase and we might have to make some quick changes uh, after handing off based on a new engineering limitation or something we learned. So I'd love to hear more about that. Uh, and then once it is built, what was the impact of that? Do you have any metrics to share? How did you know it was successful? Did you do any user testing after that to learn more? And maybe you came up with a list of like, post MVP features or like things you're going to work on next. Like what, like can you start already leaning into the next chapter of that story is something that I rarely see in case studies, but something I'd love to see more of. Yeah. That's making me think about the times that I have seen. And I feel like this was normally on a personal project or a school project or something where people have said like, Oh, if I had more time, like I would have done this, this or this. I really like that actually. I think that that shows a lot of awareness yeah. as a designer for um, critiquing your own work, which is super important to be able to do. You know, it's that's a good skill to develop and including that sort of thing. Um, yeah, it really shows me that you're thinking in that way and, and building that skill. Yeah. Something else I often want to see more of sprinkled throughout the case study is collaboration. Uh, I find a lot of the case studies I read are very I, 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 like I did all of this. And at the end I'm like, man, so like you got a brief from product and then you went under a rock and came back out on the other side with the final solution. Like surely somewhere in there was like a design review or like somehow you got feedback from somebody. Uh, how did you learn about what the, the technical limitations would be so you could design within that? Surely you had a conversation with engineering at one point. Those are often things that I, I don't see very much, but I want to see more of. I want to know how you collaborated. I want to know how you worked with other people and how you took them along in, in your design process. That's something I'd love to see more of in general. Yeah, and I think that I don't want people to hear that advice and go the opposite direction. And instead of saying, I, 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 say we, we, we <laughs> for everything. True. Because as a reviewer that's I find that difficult as well because I'm like okay but what role did this person actually play in this project like true is this their work I'm looking at or were they just like they're giving feedback I don't know it's not clear so making it clear how you're involved um and who else you worked on it with it benefits both directions I think yeah I think it's always good to call out like things that you were specifically responsible for or that you did or you owned or you led but also Talk about how you collaborated in some way. Yeah, great advice, Pam. What else? Is there anything else you've noticed and like common feedback you've found yourself giving to people around case studies in these reviews? I guess a last piece of feedback is maybe not so much about the like uh, storytelling or, or written part of a case study, but the visual. Uh, and I'd love to hear what you think about this as well, Charlie, especially from a more like marketing, like graphical design perspective. I often find sometimes the presentation of the designs can be a little bit sloppy. Uh, and I would love to see more like, not just polished work in the designs themselves, but I think also in the way you present the work, like showing those final design mockups, that's like your, your time to shine, right? That's like the grand reveal. Here it is, here's the final work. And so it's worth putting some effort into making sure you present those well. Uh, for example, like 
don't just do a screenshot of like your Figma UI. Like let's export those at high like 2X PNGs and put them in like device frames when necessary, like wrap it up in an iPhone frame or, or a desktop if it's a desktop app. Um, maybe you have a clickable prototype, it's a GIF, or maybe I can interact with it and it's embedded on the site. Uh, just think about how you're delivering that final deliverable in a way, because that's going to have a huge impact um, on my impression of your design skills. Yeah, yeah, great point. I This is something that whenever I'm looking at a product and UX design portfolio, I find it really hard not to judge too harshly, honestly, because you can't expect a product or a UX designer to also be a like web designer with strong visuals necessarily. Yes, that's true. But, you know, there is sometimes I'm like questioning, I'm like, ah, come on, this hierarchy, man. Like, <laughs> really? This is what you're going to present to me? Yeah. So not only paying attention to the, the screenshots of the designs and things you're talking about, Femme, but I think that people should pay more attention to the typography right. as well. Because typography is a skill set that spans across all visual communication design disciplines, which, you know, UX, product design, web, they're all part of that. And so if your case study is like wall of text land, and there's nothing for my eye to catch on to that like pulls me down and like informs me where we're at in the process while I'm skimming through. That is difficult for me because I'm like, okay, well, you're not caring about the user experience of the person reading this case study right. then. If you're not making it easy to skim and like very clear um, which point you're at within the process. So do not underestimate the importance of good, clear typography and hierarchy within your case studies. They can really help ensure that people actually read all the words that you're writing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. And especially for these like more UXE roles, like we don't, well, at least I don't expect you to be like a top notch visual graphic designer. However, there is a baseline of like fundamental design principles, right? And like hierarchy and typography is one of those. And so if it's difficult to follow your case study from like a typography and a hierarchy perspective, like I'm not sure where one section ends and where the next one begins or, oh, does this heading belong in that section or is this a new section? Like those things can trip you up uh, and can make me as a reader be really confused and make it difficult to follow. So I agree. It's definitely worth like spending a little bit of time making sure that that's all clear and tidy for your reader. Yeah, because honestly, it can reflect badly on you. Yeah. When the typography is bad, it's the first thing that any other designer is going to notice no matter what discipline they're in most likely this was a good chat because i'd never been able to articulate that what's been missing in in a lot of case studies for me is the story mm -hmm. that i hope is the main takeaway that people have from this episode is that your case study is not just to present your work it's to tell a story about why that project was successful due to your skills yeah um, and also why they should hire you to do more <laughs> of it for their company that's the story you're telling and so keeping that in mind i think should help eliminate a lot of the, the issues we've been talking about. So it's a great way to word it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this has been fun to talk about. Uh, and I hope that this has been helpful for those of you listening, whether you're working on case studies right now, trying to prepare for your next job, or maybe you haven't started <laughs> your portfolio. Uh, hopefully this is helpful information for when you do get started. Yes. And if you want to listen to more episodes with more, hopefully helpful information <laughs> for your design careers, as we share what we're getting up to in, in our design careers, 
head to designlife.fm or just search for Design Life in any old podcasting app that you use. Yeah. All right. We'll be back next week. Talk to you then. Sounds good. Bye, fam. Bye. Bye.